0: Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. George Norrie with you. Dr. Lucy Jones with us. Seismologist for the U.S. Geological Survey for more than 30 years. Most recently, a science advisor for risk reduction. She created the Great Shakeout Drill. That was an earthquake preparedness experiment that by 2016 included 53 million participants around the world. She founded and is the chief scientist of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society, a research associate at Caltech. She holds a Ph.D. in geophysics from MIT and a B.A. in Chinese language and literature from Brown University. Dr. Lucy Jones with us, first time on Coast to Coast. Lucy, welcome. Thanks for having me. How did you get involved in your interest in geophysics? How did that happen?
1: Well, I... As a child, my dad was an aerospace engineer and worked on the Apollo project. Uh We watched the moon landing together, and I told him, as pretentiously as only a child can, that I was going to become an astrophysicist (laughs) and live on the moon. I love it. Uh, Of course, by the time I got my degree, it was pretty clear we weren't getting to the moon anytime soon. And I also began to realize that physics was really, in the 70s, was mostly about making bombs. And geophysics turned out to be about playing in the mountains and getting paid for it.
0: Does it drive you nuts when you hear people say, we never went to the moon?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, one thing about being a scientist is you believe that there is objective reality, and you use your tools to try and understand what that is. And uh, looking at all the evidence, it's pretty clear what actually happened. Of course, I was there, I saw the Apollo, I you know, Went to my dad's office and saw it and touched it, and yep. uh, uh, it was a very real experience. And
0: I knew a couple astronauts, Edgar Mitchell, the late Edgar Mitchell being one, Buzz Aldrin. I know these guys went to the moon.
1: I know. it's, uh, But I, I think there is—actually, I, I sometimes think we need to wonder why people are driven to refuse to believe that. It's, you know, some deep psychological need is being satisfied.
0: Or distrust. There's distrust in government, I think. And uh, that's unfortunate, too. It, it's, you know, and I've always contended that if anything happened, uh, you know, some of the pictures that were done on uh, on the settings. I remember watching Walter Cronkite when this happened. I was 19 years old. And they had mock, you know, they would have astronauts on a mock set trying to show us what was happening on the moon. I'm wondering if some pictures like that got mixed in with the real stuff. And these people said, aha, they never went. Look.
1: I don't think people who are saying that need evidence. I think it is being driven more by psychological needs. Yeah, that could be.
0: That could be. So tell me about the shakeout drill, and how did you get 53 million people around the world to become (laughs) part of that?
1: Well, it began much smaller than that, though. um, I was the scientist leading an effort called the Shakeout Scenario, which was trying to uh make the science more usable by connecting it to what people were really thinking about so we have all our papers about what's going on in various geophysical phenomena turn it into a coherent picture of what the big earthquakes really going to be like and um we called it the shakeout scenario and there were some aspects of it that were surprising even to us uh understanding how bad the fire after the earthquakes were going to be for instance and we wanted to help people understand what was in there, what they should really be concerned about. And we came up with the well, we talked to social scientists and said, "How do we get people to do this? How do we get them to listen?" And one of the strong messages is we needed to do something that you could see people getting ready for earthquakes. That it's a strong human need to you uh, do what you see other people doing. The visual reinforcement's important. So we came up with doing practicing what's the best action during an earthquake, which is drop, cover, hold on, meaning drop to the ground before the earthquake sends you there, hold on to something and, you know, have, hopefully have it cover your head. And, um, you know, that's a very visual picture, people jumping under their desk, and uh, that would show people getting ready for earthquakes. So we did it for that the shakeout scenario, and we tried to get it to as many people in Southern California as possible, about 20 million residents in the area, and we ended up getting 5 million people participating in that first drill. And I was sort of like, great, we got them to listen. And But the state went, you could get one quarter of the population to participate. Wow, we better do this again, uh, At which my first thought was, over my dead body, I, you know, I already gave <laughs> you a year, this is enough. But other people have really you know want it, stepped in and helped put it together. A big part of it is all uh internet driven, so we don't have to talk individually to everybody we're engaging. It's they can sign up through it. And as you know, California did it, other states noticed, Washington started doing it, Oregon, and then, you know, other states noticed and and then other countries started noticing. And the 53 million people is actually involving people from around the world. Uh, when uh, Japan joined, that was a, a large group of people. And actually, the uh, Korea has 8 million people participating, mostly through their schools. And, and then actually, Iran joined in. They have one of the biggest earthquake risks in the world. Oh, my God. Yeah, and their yeah. schools have started doing it, too.
0: And their buildings crumble pretty darn fast, don't they? There
1: are some pretty bad buildings there, yes.
0: Is it my perception, uh, Dr. Jones, or... Are we facing the big one in this country?
1: My, What I'm trying to say within the book is that every city, every significant city in the world, has a big one in their future. It's not necessarily an earthquake, but uh, all of the things that make human life work, rivers and oceans, that <laughs> lead to um, you know, the potential for natural disasters. And we all will at some point... But we don't know when. And it may be hundreds of years or more for many cities. Um, And that bothers us as human beings. We don't like it being random. But we don't know which one will be next. We just know it's going to happen somewhere. Yeah,
0: it's not a a matter of if. It's just when. And that's the same with an asteroid strike, I think.
1: Right now, the when on the asteroid strike, you know, it's on average what is it every fifty million years? So it's not something you should be keeping high in your your worry sphere. There's a lot of other things to hurt you before then. But um,
0: just want to um, hope you're not wrong.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, on average, I'm pretty sure I'm right. I just don't know whether the next one's in fifty million years or tomorrow.
0: Well, uh, that's right. That's right. They've always I remember being in the Midwest in 93 during the, the Great Flood there, and they they called it the 500-year flood. But the problem is, is once you've had that flood, you don't know if the next 500-year flood is going to start the next day or not.
1: There's actually been quite a bit of discussion that we shouldn't be using the terminology, because what's called a 500-year flood is really the flood that has a 1 in 500 chance in happening in any one year. Right and that's a random distribution. Whether you have it this year or not does not affect your chances of having it next year. Earthquakes aren't that far off that process. I mean, we don't think they're going to show up one year right after the other, Um, but for instance, there's one part of the San Andreas where we've dug in and been able to map out the uh, soils disrupted in previous earthquakes and date them, and one place where the average time between earthquakes is about 100 years. We have three of them that were less than 50 years apart, one only 30 years apart, and another one, there was a 350-year interval. So the earthquakes are very erratic as well.
0: What makes these tectonic plates move,
1: Doctor? Heat. Uh, just like in the, the basis of, of storms in the end is heat in the atmosphere, the basis of the Earthquake motions is is heat within the earth. The core of the earth has a lot of radioactive material. It generates heat. Uh, Things that are hot want to get cooler. Things that are cooler want to get hotter. The we you end up getting convection cells that move the hot rock from down below up to the surface where it cools down. Um, Just like you know pouring cream into your coffee and the two the hot and the cold liquid mix rocks. Of course move much more slowly so it mm-hmm. takes a few hundred million years for these convection cells to turn over, but it's the same fundamental physics.
0: I'm concerned about the caldera at Yellowstone. They say it pops every 600,000 years and it's way overdue. How dangerous is that?
1: I am not overly concerned about it because overdue doesn't mean a lot for what I just said. Uh, we may have a long average time But how long it's been since the last one doesn't matter very much in setting the risk. And a once every 600,000-year recurrence time doesn't doesn't lead to a lot of risk right now.
0: Is there any telltale signs when something like this could happen?
1: It depends on your your hazard. Now, volcanoes, uh, yes, you... uh, The magma has to get from the magma chamber to the earth's surface, and you can often see it moving through earthquakes and bulging and maybe some gases being released. So volcanoes don't usually erupt completely without notice. Earthquakes, there's nothing that has to happen before the earthquake can begin, so those really do come completely out of the blue.
0: Now, they do say if Caldera goes, it could be a disaster of biblical proportions. Do you agree with that?
1: Uh, if it goes in that full—you know, if we get an absolute repeat of what we saw three-quarters of a million years ago, yes. Uh, right. There are a lot of ways it could erupt that wouldn't be so catastrophic.
0: Now, what fault is the worst in this country, San Andreas or the New Madrid?
1: Oh, I'd actually say the Cascadia Fault in, in the Pacific Northwest.
0: Really? Okay.
1: Well, all right, so it depends on what you mean by worst. What you, is it the biggest earthquake, the most damage, or the most frequent damage?
0: Uh, well, I guess most damage has to do with exactly where it would hit, right?
1: Right. Well, I, I, so it, the epicenter doesn't matter. What matters is what surface moves in the earthquake, because every point on the surface gives off energy. To be a magnitude 8, that surface needs to be 250 to 300 miles long. So when the southern San Andreas moves, it won't matter which, where the epicenter shows up because it will be the whole southern San Andreas. That wraps around Los Angeles, runs through San Bernardino and, and Palm Springs, and uh, is one of the most damaging. Actually, that is probably about the most damaging earthquake that we can imagine.